0: Welcome to another podcast from InsideCarolina.com, the independent voice of UNC sports. Brought to you by T-shirt.com, the go-to provider for all your Tar Heel gear
1: welcome to the inside carolina podcast john siegley here with greg barnes and ross martin the inside carolina podcast is sponsored by johnny t-shirt you can visit them either at their store on franklin street or online at T-shirt.com. guys the weather was pretty crappy in the triangle today but luckily everyone stayed dry thanks to that lovely new indoor practice facility paying off already Greg, let's just go ahead and start with you on this one, man. When you got to the practice today, what was the vibe like there inside of the facility?
0: I think what you see is that this team is 10 practices in. And so when you're that far along in the spring ball, uh, there's no more kind of filling out one another in terms of players and coaches. Players are learning and have a pretty good understanding, at least at this point, what the coaching staff expects out of them. Uh, the coaches know kind of what player does what where they excel those types of things and so i think I think what you're seeing is that there's a lot of um, communication that's taking place and you're seeing a much more rapid uh, process in terms of how fluid everything is and that's to be expected that's that's what you um, you know that's what you kind of imagine seeing ten practices in um, and I know a lot of people kind of inquire about okay well how does this you know, practice differ from previous coaching staffs and those types of things. I don't think they move around quite as as quickly as they did under Larry Fedora. Now, granted, that may change as as they get more practices under their belt. Uh, but one thing that that we were talking about earlier is that the guys guys are moving fast. I mean, in terms of uh, you know they're they're not walking through drills. They're not walking through. You know, they're kind of their routes and their schemes, everything's fast paced within the drill itself. Um and so that's interesting to see. And especially with the, the passing routes. I mean it's it's bang 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 bang. Um and so you get to see, you know, some of the speed that North Carolina has. And I, I think that kind of speaks to you know there's a there's a decent talent level here. Um, obviously a long way to go, but they're not, you know, starting from scratch. Um and I think you're starting to, to see some of that and uh, it was just a kind of a, a clean, solid uh, practice period. You know, they're not through the dregs of training camp where it's so hot and everybody's tired of hitting one another, uh, but it's not so new that you know, there's a lot of uh, hiccups and those types of things. It's just kind of a, a smooth practice period.
1: That's actually something that I was going to ask Ross about is the, you know, the, the symptom that you hear about over the summer when. The players just really get tired of only going up against their own teammates. You know, Ross. I think in the very first practice scoop, there seemed to be a lot of enthusiasm am- amongst the players just because it was something new. Did you get the sense that they're slowly kind of becoming maybe more business like today? And that's why, you know, Greg described it as just a very you know flowing practice.
2: Yeah, I mean, it seems like they are more comfortable, which you would imagine would happen after. 9 or 10 practices. And it seems like they're doing a lot of preparation outside of, of actual practice. You know, when they have meetings in the afternoons, you know, they're practicing in the morning now, which is different. And our, our intern, John Bowman, did a good article on the move to morning practices, which we expect to continue in the, in the fall. Um So having a lot more time in the afternoon to go through things they need to work on and get prepared for the next practice so that things do move more smoothly. And to add on to what Greg said, while they may not be moving from uh, area to area, area to area with with such pace and such quickness that we saw under Larry Fedora, the general takeaway from speaking with players is that the offense and defense moves faster in terms of the scheme. Which, which is, I didn't expect that because you always, when you think of Larry Fedora's offense, you thought it moved so fast and everything was quick, 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 and that was the key to success. But it seems like. Under Mac Brown and Phil Longo, the offense is going to be fast, if not faster. Um, and they really want to get the plays to the line really quickly, and that's how they're practicing. And so that's one takeaway I've gotten from speaking with players. It just it seems
1: faster than what I expected um, under this new offense. All right, guys, let's go ahead and then start talking about the positions themselves, and let's start with offense. Greg, let's go back to you to not give away the full write-up that's available on the Inside Carolina Premium Tar Pit Message Board. strongly encourage everyone to go there and read it. When you were looking at the offensive line, you made a couple interesting observations. So can you just kind of briefly summarize really what's been going on there in that position?
0: Well, I think kind of the the neat aspect of this is you. Know, when you have a new coaching staff come in, um, it's really a, a situation where, I think the underclassmen initially benefit more than the upperclassmen. And I say that because the upperclassmen have, have worked under, you know, the prior coaching staff, that coaching staff knows them, they trust them. And so there's, there's a level of confidence in those players. And therefore they have a step up on the younger guys. That's not the case right now. This is a situation where you have know, Stacey Serles and and all these coaches for that matter, don't really know what they're working with. And so all these guys are on a blank slate. Um, and I think that benefits the young guys at least in the first you know maybe spring ball and then we'll see how things change once you get to training camp but what, what that's allowed to have you know to take place is that you have a guy like Ed Montalus, right we know that, that he's been practicing with the ones at left guard over the last week or so um, and he's a guy that coming out of high school everybody's kind of thought he was an add on right you I mean you get you get William Barnes out of Florida um, you know and if you throw a scholarship towards one of his teammates, and he accepts, and maybe that helps you land William Barnes. Well, what happens? Now we're looking at a a spring practice depth chart. Ed Montalus is with the ones, and William Barnes is with the twos. And so that's kind of a unique dynamic. And then I think something else is intriguing is that a guy that looked really good at tackle last year, even though he was young, and a little bit of time that we got to saw him, uh, was Josh Izudu. Uh, Well, right now he's working at guard with the ones. And so these are two young guys, um, you know, red shirt freshmen who are working at both the guard spots and coming into spring ball, I think we all assumed it was gonna be, you know, Billy Ross, Nick Polino and and William Barnes were the three guys that were gonna be fighting for those uh jobs. And Polino's a center because JJ McCargo's uh out and he's been battling a, a hand injury. And then, you know, Montalus and Azutu kind of jump ahead of him. So uh, we know what they've got at left tackle and Charlie Heck, and then you think Jordan Tucker is another guy at right tackle who we kind of had him penciled in as the heir apparent there once once Charlie moved over to take take William Sweet's spot. Uh, but the the youth with Montalus and Azudu, as well as with you know William Barnes there at the twos uh, with right guard, that, that's promising for the future of this program, and it kind of speaks to the, the new opportunities that arise for guys when a new coaching staff comes in
2: i think greg brings up tons of good points and one thing is it's a, it's a clean slate for everybody so you have a guy like ed Montillas who can step in and, and take reps from a, a veteran or a guy who has starting experience and that's the beauty of a new regime you have guys who maybe just were you know not looked at one way by a by a certain coach is getting a chance now and it can reveal strengths that just weren't seen under previous regimes i think that's the beauty of of having new coaches and players just getting a new clean slate. You always hear that when uh, when a new coaching group comes in, that everybody has a clean slate, and you're seeing that play out kind of right now, and that's, that's good to know. And if, if maybe Montillas or some other guys do not uh, get starting spots, at least they have some experience there at being with the ones that can pay off down the road in the fall. So and that's one major takeaway is that Mac Brown and the different coaches are are
1: certainly giving guys
2: chances who may have not had that type of chance previously.
1: And Ross, sticking with you, I noticed that you made some comments about the quarterback position. I mean, that is the hot topic amongst UNC fans for the offseason. I think that's honestly going to be the number one thing that fans are going to be looking for in the upcoming spring game. But when you were watching the three guys kind of competing for that number one spot right now, what really caught your eye there? Well, I didn't really get a chance to watch the quarterbacks as much, but what what we talked
2: about off the air was what – mac brown said about the quarterback position we asked him about it um it was in my standout what's going on there any uh, details on on certain players are doing things a certain way as well and he seems overall very impressed with the quarterbacks their arm strength they can make all the throws and that kind of alliance with what we've seen and what players have said of course they're not going to bash a teammate and mac's not going to bash any players but it seems like it, they could all you know, win the job and all have attributes that can help this team win. What I thought was interesting, and I think Greg can kind of come on after this and, and follow up, but it seemed like they definitely want all three to stay, and they definitely think all three can help the team. But it seemed like, you know, one's going to be the starter. They're going to need a backup. And it, it was weird how he worded it, but that, you know, one might have to transfer because they're all the same, oh, roughly the same age. You have Jace Ruder and Cade Fortin, who are all red shirt. Freshmen's and then uh, Sam Howell is is a true freshman, so they're all roughly the same age. So yeah, there's going to be one player eventually who's tra- who transfers, and to say that in the spring was just odd to me. And I love kind of Greg's take on that because that kind of stuck out to me from our uh, time with with Mac today.
0: Well, I think the main takeaway there is that that Mac is realistic to the situation, um, and that this this is something that we have seen where you have multiple kids in one class and everybody wants to play. And it's one thing if you have two guys in one class, um, but if you have you know, three guys who are legitimately you know, competing and have a chance to win the, the starting job, uh, then it, could be, it poses a problem. And so I, I think he's just being honest. And I, I think the other aspect, too, um, is two things. Number one, um, you've got three guys competing for the job. And, the, and Mac Brown, as he said, and I, I don't doubt this is completely true, uh, but they just want these guys to worry about learning the offense. Um, there's enough pressure trying to understand exactly what Phil Longo wants to do because one of the unique dynamics of the way he's teaching this, and I think this is one of the reasons the offense is running so fast right now, is that he's calling in the signal once, and the guys have to go. That's it. It's not like, okay, somebody missed it. Let's let's do this again. It's here's a play call. Go. And he's putting the pressure on the players to know the know the call, know what they're supposed to do, know what their teammates are supposed to do, and figure it out uh, and so that makes it go quicker for one because there's there's less options right but also because and it also it forces these guys to make decisions and try to really learn the offense and so when you add to that, hey, I'm also competing for a job, that's a lot of pressure, and so one thing that they're Uh, phrasing to the quarterbacks is look we don't care we're not worried about depth chart at all right now it is just a matter of you learn the offense and then once we get to training camp then we'll start competing for the job but the other aspect of that and we saw this a little bit Larry Fedora did is you don't want to share too much information with the team this time of year because you don't want one player to say you know what the other two guys are ahead of me so if I'm going to you read the tea leaves here, Uh, the chances of me playing at least next year, maybe the year after is going to be an issue. Uh, So I'm going to go ahead and transfer. And so by keeping this very open and that, Hey, there's no competition right now. Everybody's competing. You kind of ensure that you're going to have all three guys through the summer. And then, however, the cards may fall in in August and beyond uh, you just kind of roll with that.
2: Yeah, and I was going to touch on that, but Greg pretty much hit it, but I thought that was the major takeaway, that he's letting them kind of learn the offense without competing and worrying about beating each player out, so they're not, you know, every day thinking about, man, I have to to make this throw, I have to make this throw, I have to be perfect. It's more just get the basics down, get everything they need to know about this particular offense during this, this spring stretch, go into the summer, and then worry about competing in August when it has to be decided. I think it was A really cool way that Mac Brown uh, spoke on that. It it seemed uh, enlightening to me and uh, definitely something to take away from uh, how he's approaching the quarterback competition. I'm sure tons of people are are intrigued by what's going on there.
1: Yeah, and I really do get the sense that UNC will not name a starter, probably, you know, even at. Going into the game against South Carolina, uh, we'll probably figure out who's going to be the UNC starting quarterback for that game when they actually take the field. That just seems to be that this one is trending. But guys, let's go ahead and talk about the skill positions now. And, you know, Greg, I noticed that you made the comment on the premium basketball message board that the coaching staff is really honing in on dropped passes by the wide receivers. What were they doing today that kind of caught your eye to, to fix, I guess, that if it's already being a little bit of an issue?
0: Well, that's one thing that Mac Brown has, has harped on a couple times already, just in the, in the few weeks of, of spring ball, is that there's way too many drop passes. And we, we saw that a bit the you know, last couple of years as well. And that's not like it's a new thing with this group of, of wide receivers. Um, and so what I saw today is you know, when a, a player drops a pass that he should have caught, uh, you had Lonnie Galloway, who's a wide receiver coach, and then Tim Brewster, who's tight end coach, really kind of jump all over them. Um, and so that's, that's the accountability aspect is that you've got to make plays. And even on the other side of the ball, you know, when Dre Bly is doing his drills with his cornerbacks and they, they drop a pass that they should have caught, uh, they've got to drop down and do push-ups. And so by c- continuing to harp on it, uh, it, it reinforces to these guys that this is not acceptable. Like, we're not at high school level anymore. You can't be dropping passes that you should catch, right? And I think we can all think back over the last couple of years when you know, the guys had what should have been easy touchdown catches and they just drop them. Um, and, you know, that's, that those can be game-changing plays if you just make a simple catch. And so little things like that, and I kind of – those are the most glaring, but it goes beyond that. It goes It goes to the footwork drills. It goes to hand positions with wide receivers. Right, I watched Lonnie Galloway go through a, a lengthy process with his wide receivers today, where they're just using their hands to knock away uh, your press motions by the the defender at the line of scrimmage, and just repeatedly. Like you know, they'll put their hand here, they'll put their hand here, they'll put the hand you know down at their belly, they'll put the hand at their at their chest, all these kind of things, and they've got to knock away to make sure they have space coming off the line of scrimmage. So all very you know, small details. But those are the details that separate, you know, the good teams from the great teams, and so uh, just just enhanced accountability is, is kind of the key point. And uh, this is a little bit off topic, but it kind of goes back to what Mac talked about last week, and that you know the, the position coaches have to you know, make sure that their players are doing the right things, but then it's Mac who's making sure his coaches are doing the right things because the way that the players play is a reflection on how well the coaches are coaching them. And so that's a unique dynamic that, that Max very open about you making sure that his coaches are doing the right things so that the players can do the right thing. So there's a layering effect there. It's not just the players you're supposed to do what they're supposed to, what they're supposed to do. And the coaches say, you know what, you just got to do it. There's an added motivation for the coaches to be like, look, you know, if I don't get you doing this right, Max going to get on my rear end. And so that, that, Levels of of accountability, I think, is a beneficial thing.
1: Well, some of the drills that you noticed the wide receivers going through I thought were very interesting. And, again, those are listed there on the message board. Everyone go go check that out. Um, Just some different stuff that I think is is very refreshing to see. Let's go ahead and, and finish up the talk about the offense guys with going over some of the position changes. And, Ross, going to you for that one, what have you observed in that area so far during the practices? The one that I think was
2: we got uh, made known about maybe two weeks ago, or maybe a week ago, was Corey Bell's move from cornerback to wide receiver, and this is his last year. He's a redshirt senior, I think, so his fifth year, fifth year senior, rather. And um, I think the broader point is that Mac Brown and the coaching staff is are putting players in positions where they need them and where they think they can, in any way, help the team, whether that's in practice where that's just to create depth in the spring. He's making those changes, and that's something I don't think we saw as much under Larry Fedora. Um, Corey Bell, a player who has been at cornerback for the last three or four seasons, obviously hasn't had that much success at corner, and they felt like he have a chance to impact the team as a slot receiver on offense. And so far, he's impressed with his speed, um, his leaping ability. He has the athletic traits, and I think it's a little bit easier to to learn the uh, – wide receiver position in this air raid offense. So it's just a smart move. You know, he's not going to play much at corner. That was clear from obviously making the move. And now it can help an offense that that needs more depth in the slot receiver position. And it, it seems like it helps the team, and he's happy with it as well from all accounts. We haven't spoken with him, but other wide receivers, cornerbacks, and Mac Brown said that as much today. Um, some other positions, there was some talk of moving certain players from offensive line to defensive line. It seems like the only... Move they have made is that has stuck at least is Quarion Johnson a, a walk on, I think redshirt freshman or sophomore uh, is moved to defensive line so that's another body there at defensive tackle um, and I'm, I'm not sure I don't think I'm missing any other ones but they, they've tested out Avery Jones at defensive line he's back to offensive line um, and I, but the the fact that they are doing this I think is just a innovative you know, flexible way to operate uh, a college uh, program. And that was good to see, um, especially the Corey Bell. I think it's going to play out well because he's very athletic, but his cornerback skills were just not to par.
1: All right, guys, so let's go ahead and take a very quick commercial break. When we get back, let's talk about the defensive side of the ball. So everyone stay tuned. We'll be right back after this. Let's take a moment to talk about our friends at Johnny T-Shirt. They are a very long-term supporter of Inside Carolina and the Inside Carolina podcast, and they are your place to go to for Carolina gear. Johnny T-Shirt has been a Franklin Street tradition for over 35 years, and they are one of the absolute iconic locations there on campus. They are locally and alumni-owned with a great staff that puts great value on customer service. It is really top-notch. When you go into Johnny T-Shirt, they make you feel like you are part of the family. They are your place to go to for Carolina gear because it is their focus. They have a terrific selection of anything that you might want from memorabilia to jerseys to clothing and everything in between. And if you are a subscriber to Inside Carolina, you get your exclusive 10% off discount on all of your purchases. You can use that either in their Chapel Hill store or at johnnytshirt.com. That's t-shirt.com. So even if you live out of state, and you still need that Johnny T-shirt fix, you can go there to order anything that you need Carolina-related. So support Johnny T-shirt and support the Inside Carolina podcast. Visit their website, JohnnyT-shirt.com, and visit their store when you're in town on game days. And we're back with the Inside Caroline podcast. John Siegley here with Ross Martin and Greg Barnes talking UNC football. Going over the 30 minutes of open practice that the media was allowed to view today. We are recording this on Tuesday afternoon. So, Greg, now that we've talked about the offense, let's go ahead and switch gears to the defense. And kind of wanted to talk about a general point here. I know it's difficult to really see kind of the shape of Jay Bateman's new defense just from drills only. But did you get the sense that things are starting to maybe click or come together in that regard in terms of him really getting across what he wants the heels to do on that side of the ball next season?
0: yeah i think I think part of it is a communication deal and and from talking with various players uh, that's coming along. they're making progress and that they're they're understanding who's responsible for what. And I think that's going to be a great challenge. You know, if we go back to, to Vic Koning's first couple of years, North Carolina had a lot of success in, in Larry Fedora's first two years, uh, especially the first year defensively. Even second year, second half of the year, was really good defensively. And that's because Vic ran a very complex scheme, uh, but he had you know, a lot of good leadership and he had some good players. And so it worked. And then when the talent started to leave the program in 2014 and then you had communication breakdowns, Vic kind of lost the defense and it fell apart. And so what happens, Gene Chizik comes in, goes very bland, very base, uh, very conservative, much, much more of a reactive defense. And then you slowly kind of build back into it. Well, now we're in a situation where Jay Bateman is, is much more aggressive, very attacking, and there's a lot more working pieces. And I think one element of that, for example, is when you watch the, the defensive ends and you watch the outside linebackers practice, they're doing a lot of the same things. And I, I talked to Mac Brown about that, and I'll have a story about that later in the week. But there's a lot of crossover between the outside linebackers and the defensive ends. You know, DeMond Fox talking about uh, you know, he's standing up a lot of the time. Um, and so, you know, he's going to be doing, he's dropping in coverage a lot. Dom Ross is going to be rushing the quarterback a lot. And so when you look at those two positions, you're like, wait a minute, who's exactly doing what? And so that's kind of the unique element of it. And uh, one thing I talked with uh, Greg Ross about today is, okay, if the front seven's so complex, does that mean you just have a very basic shell on the back end, right? I mean, you think maybe a simple cover two or quarters just to kind of let the front seven do what they want to do. That's not the case. Greg was saying how you know the defensive backs are really excited because Bateman really likes to bring pressure from everywhere. So there's going to be safety blitzes. There's going to be corner blitzes. And so communication is a must because if you've got a cornerback blitzing and you don't have a safety rolling over to pick up his man, guess what? you got a wide-open guy 50 yards down the field. And so uh, that element I think is improving. I think it's going to take a while for that to take hold. Um, and that, that's one of the unique things about spring ball that I don't think people really understand is that when you're installing a new offense and a new defense, everybody wants to say, well, how'd the scrimmage go? Who had big plays? All these things. That's not really an accurate measure because when you're working on your offensive plays against the defense, well, the defense may, a, may call a blitz. And if you're working on a set play offensively, guess what? You're not adjusting for that blitzer. And so the blitzers are going to get in there and blow up the quarterback or tag him or whatever, and the play is dead. And so people watching from the sideline are saying, wow, the defense made a great play there, when in actuality the offense is just running their play and they didn't make that type of adjustment pre-snap. Um, and so that's one of the hard things to be able to judge, like how well scrimmages go. But that kind of gets to the, the emphasis of installation, the communication part of it, and making sure these guys know exactly what they're supposed to do, how they're supposed to um, – Work with one another to make sure any gaps were there, because as everybody remembers, back in 2014, there were a lot of busted plays. Those busted plays were because of the communication issues, and so that's what Bateman's really trying to hone in now is make sure all these guys work together.
1: Greg, I think you may have studied the Jay Bateman defense just a little bit in the off season, man.
0: Well, we're trying to. We're we're going to looking forward to having to sit down with him in the coming weeks. Because uh, it's it's fascinating stuff. It you know it's uh, it's very ballsy if I can say that. And I think it's a very aggressive, unique approach. I think that's that's needed. I kind of like what Vic did initially, and then things kind of fell off the the earth. Um, <laughs> yeah, but, but that DCU kind of game. right. That kind of approach I think is needed for a school like North Carolina that doesn't have the Alabama talent or the Clemson talent. Uh, and so I think I think as long as he gets these guys working together I think has a chance to be very interesting and, and those types of defenses are very fun to cover you know as much as I like Gene Chizik the 2015 defense was boring it was effective no doubt about it but in terms of taking it apart uh, it, it wasn't very difficult
2: one thing real quick Greg mentioned it but what we learned today was that Dom Ross the outside linebacker is going to be is there, is one of their best uh quarterback blitzers, so he's going to use a lot on quarterback blitzes and that's just another example of the staff kind of finding the strengths of the players and putting them in positions to succeed so you know in the three four you can bring down an outside linebacker to to rush the quarterback and that's what they're going to do with with dom ross so that was interesting to see and it seems like Tamon fox is also i think he mentioned those two as their two best quarterback blitzers so those are guys are going to put positions to be successful and and um so look for those two things there's a, two more notes i had from practice today.
1: And when Greg was talking about talent, Ross, looking at the secondary, by my count, going through the names that was reported, it looks like Carolina only has four guys right now practicing at safety and five at cornerback. So, you know, when you're looking and hearing about this new Jay Bateman defense, can you ever recall a time period where there were only nine total guys listed right now as we enter the the spring game in the secondary?
2: Yeah, it's, it's a very light group. And it, it also, I means light at, at linebacker with experience and definitely on the defensive line. They're missing um, Jason Strobridge, which you expect to be a starter. Uh, they're very thin at, at tackle. And, it, and you have some young players uh, at in and, and Chris Collins. I think Lansing Terrell will have a chance at defensive tackle. But in the secondary, it's a lot of young guys too. You have some of the starters like Patrice Rene, but Miles Dorn's not there. Um, obviously, they're losing J.K. Britt. So there's a lot of new names we'll have to uh, get used to. They lost KJ Sales, CJ Kotman. There's a lot of youth there, and you're going to see players like Greg Ross, Trey Shaw, John J. Hollins. Those guys are going to have to step up. One good thing is is Trey Morrison, I think, was one of the best players on defense last year. He um, obviously looks to play a prominent role as a nickelback this year, and he's been healthy. Miles Wolfolk. As expected to probably step in at safety where J.K. Britt was, but he's been hampered by injuries his whole career. So there is some experience with the two miles at safety. Trey Morrison, uh, Patrice Renee should have a a big season as the number one corner. They need players to step up. There's only five scholarship corners, and one of them is uh, the early enrollee freshman Storm Duck. So it's a young group across the board on defense, inexperienced and light group in terms of depth. So they're teaching this complicated system now. They probably gonna have to reteach all of it in August when they have the full slate of players back from surgeries and, and, and healthy for, for the season. So that should be interesting to learn
1: because, like Greg talked about, it's a very complicated system. It's going to take time to implement. All right, guys, let's go ahead and wrap up the podcast by discussing the coaches themselves. And I want to hear from both of you, who was one assistant coach that really stuck out to you during this morning's practice? Greg, let's hear from you first.
0: Well, I think I'll, I'll go the the less obvious one. I'll leave that one to, to Ross, but I'll go Tim Brewster. Um, and we know Brewster as as a great recruiter, you know, Mac suggested that one of the signing day press conferences, whether it be in December or in February, whichever one, that he thought Brewster was the best recruiter in the country. And so we know he has that reputation. Uh, but in talking with some of the players that play tight end, they really hype. you. Know, this is a guy that coached at the NFL level, in addition to coaching you know, Carolina and Texas and all these places. Uh, and when you, when you watch him work with the players, I mean, he, he is. The attention to detail uh, is, is extreme. Um, he's very vocal, very emotional. I um, mean, he's, he's quick to get on the guys if they mess up. Uh, he's he's a fun guy when, when they're not in the middle of a drill, uh, but very precise. I mean, he spent an entire period of day on one route, making sure the guys took the right step with the right foot and then making another step and then making sure they're, they're squaring up and looking back to sell a fake to the quarterback. Uh, so just very detail-oriented, and I think – I think you know he's a guy that does get overlooked. You just kind of think, oh, this is another guy they brought on just as, a, as an ace recruiter. Uh, it's pretty evident that that's not the case. So I, think, I think you'll see the tight end group uh, take a step forward this year.
1: All right, Ross, let's end the podcast with you, man. Who was your <laughs> coach that stood out this morning? I'm trying to figure out which Greg wants me
2: to talk about. But I'll add on real quick with Brewster. I mean, this guy has had experience as a, as a head coach. Uh, at Minnesota, in the NFL as well, and at various stops along the way in college, Texas A&M, Florida State, uh, UNC, of course, previously, and at Texas. So he has all experience in the world to, to both recruit and to coach, and I think UNC is very lucky to have him on board. He kind of plays that uh, vice I mean, vice president role to, to Mac Brown's president-CEO role, so it is fun to watch him both on Twitter and as a recruiter. Um you know i always pay attention to the uh both lines offensive line defensive line it is just like a blue collar hand in the dirt kind of guy myself uh you have defensive line coach uh tim cross he's on top of the the, the push drill thing uh yelling at them he's always fun to watch very enthusiastic very hands on uh stacy is in a um in a sling on his on his left arm left shoulder and it's always interesting to watch the offensive line cuz they move so quickly through drills, uh, through just quick movements here and there, and it's it's very fast paced. That was the case under Coach Cap as well, and I know some similarities there with, with with Stacy, um, and those are two of the coaches I enjoyed to watch. And and Cyril's, I hope I'm saying that name right. Um, he has experience, you know, coaching under some of the best coaches in college football, and he's definitely coached at high level too. So it'll be interesting to see the development of that offensive line um, compared to what happened under Fedora.
0: Yeah, well, who I thought Ross was going to take was was Jay Bateman, and maybe I was just watching Bateman more than than Ross was.
2: I figure we gave him a lot a lot of pub already, so I was gonna yeah, well, that, that's spread the love.
0: That's true. But as a defensive coordinator, I think it's warranted. Uh, there's always a unique um, personality with these coaches. You know, some guys are just are just mean. You know, Chris Kabilovic would just get on guys and just stay on them and grind them down. Then you have other guys who are all fun-loving and serious. And you, you have guys like Chad Scott, who's, who's very fun, and uh, the players loved him, and he got all excited and all these kind of things. Dre Bly is kind of that way. You're very excitable, and everybody loves him. Uh, and then you've, got, then you've got a guy like Jay Bateman, who he will get on your rear end. And then five seconds later, good job, great, awesome, I like that. Do it again. And this is back and forth, back and forth, back and forth. And so this is very intense. You don't know you know, what's going to happen when you start doing a drill with him. Uh, I mean he's going to ride you even if you're the, you're the best cornerback they've got. for example, he got on Patrice Renee pretty good, and then fifteen seconds later he was complimenting Renee and this is complete back and forth. so what it what it does is it forces you to kind of be on your your P's and Q's, uh, but you know, it is very complimentary. So as long as you're doing what you're supposed to do. You're going to get a compliment on it. And I just think I haven't really seen many coaches that extreme. Um, He's a fireball. He's he's a small guy. It's kind of a bulldog type type personality. And it's it's an interesting dynamic. I've seen a lot of coaches over the years, and uh, he stands out in terms of his approach.
1: I love it, guys. Well, hey, we'll hopefully get a few more observations throughout the practice time. We just have to see if there will be any more media availability. If not, everyone, Inside Carolina will have the full coverage going into the spring game, so stay tuned for that. But for now, Greg, Ross, appreciate you guys both talking with me this afternoon. Thanks, John. Thanks, John. Thanks
0: for listening to another podcast from InsideCarolina.com. Brought to you by JohnnyTshirt.com. Where to go for your next Tar Heel gear purchase?